to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. If you have your Bibles, you can be turning to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. Today we're going to continue the sermon series, Hashtag Goals. This is part five. There's one other part next week, and then we're going to be done with this sermon series. But today, I want to start this message by turning your attention to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. When you have it, if you want to, you can stand for the reading of God's Word. I love this verse. And then I don't like it either. I love it because it tells me God's in control. I don't like it because it tells me I'm not in control. It tells me I got a part to play, but that he has the ultimate say. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. It says, we can make our plans. How many, how many people have been making some plans? Setting some goals? You got a target that you want to hit? We can make our plans, but the Lord, the Lord determines our steps. We can say that we're going to do this and we're going to accomplish that and we're going to get to this point and we're going to pastor and we're going to start a business and we're going to be successful and we're going to have a beach house and we're going to put our toes in the sand and we're going to retire at 65. We can make our plans and plans are not bad. But at the end of the day, we got to know that the Lord determines our steps. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you help me to minister this message. Tailor it, make it specific and intimate to every individual under the sound of my voice. Empower, enable, and strengthen me to deliver this message as you have delivered it to me. Lord, I take no ownership or authorship or credit because I know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We can set goals. But it's ultimately the Lord that determines the journey we will take in order to accomplish those goals. Our journey toward achieving our goals is unique to us and ordained by God. What I want to do today is I want to give you three examples of three different people whose journey toward achieving their goals could not have been more different. The first person that I want to talk to you about is David. David's journey toward achieving his goals was a pattern of success. One success building on another. If David had a quality, a 
characteristic, an attribute that set him aside from everyone else. It's that David knew how to be faithful. No matter what he was asked to do, whether it was big or small, whether it was major or minute, whether it was significant or insignificant, David knew how to be faithful. He attacked everything with the same mindset. David was a faithful son, even though his father Jesse often neglected him, forgot about him, excluded him, cast him to the side. David did not allow the words or actions of his father to diminish his faithfulness. Though he didn't have a faithful father, David was a faithful son. David was a faithful shepherd. He put his life on the line in order to protect the sheep entrusted to him. He once killed a lion and a bear in order to take care of the sheep that he was appointed to supervise. Some people would have said, it's not worth the risk, it's not worth the chance, it's not worth the effort, but David knew his responsibility and he was faithful to fulfill his obligation. David was a faithful brother. He served his siblings, even though most of the time they didn't even acknowledge or appreciate him for it. At one point, David delivered lunch to his brothers and they mocked and ridiculed him the entire time. Yet David didn't let their jokes and their mockery diminish his faithfulness. He didn't let the words and actions of other people change who he was. He was a faithful brother. David was a faithful soldier. Though no one encouraged him, no one supported him, no one cheered for him, no one patted him on the back. When he was given the opportunity, he walked down into the valley of Elah, confronted and defeated Goliath. David was a faithful general. He led the armies of Israel to many victories. The women of Israel used to sing the song, Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his ten thousands. David was a faithful king. He secured and expanded the borders of Israel. What I want you to see in David's journey is that he was faithful over a little and God made him ruler over much. Did he experience setbacks and failures? Absolutely. David committed adultery. David conspired to have a man killed. David was a bad parent. There were many parenting mishaps. Yet, overall, David's journey was a pattern of consistent faithfulness that resulted in consistent promotion. I think that if we could hand select the journey that we would, that we would travel in order to achieve our goals, we would select David's journey. Because we want to see ourselves getting closer. We want to see ourselves progressing. We want to see ourselves advancing. We want to see the church growing. We want to see the business growing. We want to see our finances growing. And as we see it happening, it motivates us to keep going. I think if we could select a journey, it would be David's. But everybody's journey is not like David's. Some people's journey is like Joseph's. Joseph's journey toward achieving his goals was a process of preparation through hardship that finally resulted in achievement. 
Joseph was 17 years old when God gave him a dream. A dream of power, prominence, prestige. God showed Joseph how he would bless him, how he would increase him, how he would exalt him, how he would multiply him. God showed Joseph all these wonderful things. And then shortly after, Joseph's brothers betrayed him. They were jealous because of the affection that their father Jacob showed him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. Joseph was transported into Egypt. In Potiphar's house, he was accused of rape. He was thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And for two years, everyone went on with their life and forgot all about Joseph. Unlike David, Joseph didn't experience consistent progress. Joseph was faithful just like David was faithful. Yet Joseph didn't experience periodic progress. Some of you are thinking, I'm as faithful as the next person. I do what I'm supposed to do. I take the steps that I'm supposed to take. I see other people advancing. I see other people progressing, but I don't see anything happening in my life. On the surface, it really seemed like God wasn't there for Joseph. It really seemed like God wasn't working on Joseph's behalf. It really seemed like God wasn't watching over Joseph. I mean, where was God? Where was God when wicked men betrayed Joseph and took advantage of him? Where was God when Joseph was screaming and crying in the darkness of that pit? Where was God when Joseph's hands and feet were shackled and he was thrown in a cage with the other slaves. God is sovereign. He's all powerful. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. Joseph was transported to Egypt, a place that he had never been before. God could have stopped it, but he didn't. A wicked woman made lies about Joseph, said that he raped her, and God could have spoke up. God could have stopped it, and he didn't. Joseph was thrown in prison for something that he did not do, and God could have stopped it, but he didn't. For two years, Joseph sat in prison while everybody else lived their life. God could have stopped it but he did. That's where some of you are. Diagnosed with cancer, God could have stopped it, but he didn't. Struggling to get by, God could have stopped it, but he didn't. Tragedy, but God could have stopped it, and he didn't. A car wreck, God could have stopped it, but he didn't. You got laid off, God could have stopped it, but he did. Your mama got sick. God could have stopped it. But he, where is God? Where was God when Joseph was going through all this chaos, all this heartache, all this suffering, all this pain? Where was the God that gave him the dream? Look at Genesis 39, 21. It 
it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Through every setback, through every struggle, through every hardship, through every tragedy, through every tear, God never left Joseph, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know how the enemy's attacking you. I don't know what the prognosis looks like. I don't know how you're having to get by and how you're having to struggle. But if God never left Joseph, he has never left you. God never left Joseph. And to Joseph's credit, he never gave up on God. I'm not sure how he did it. I don't know if I could do the same. I don't know if I went through what Joseph went through, that I would still be able to cling to hope, that I would still be able to have faith, that I would still be able to pursue God, that I would be able to seek his word. But Joseph never turned loose of God. And after years of hardship, in one day. Isn't it amazing how God can wipe away years of pain in one day? Years of struggle in one day? That's, that's something I know about God. No matter how long you've been in your condition, no matter how long it's been that way, in one moment, God can completely change the landscape of your life. This is why you ought not just come to church to be coming to church. You should come with an expectation that this might be the day that God steps in and erases and does away with everything that I've been dealing with, everything that I've been battling, everything that I've been broken by. In one day, Joseph went from the prison to the palace and his life was never the same again. What I want you to see in Joseph's journey is that God spent years preparing him because of the significant position he was called to. I would argue that Joseph's position was even greater than David's. David was king of Israel, but Joseph was second in command in Egypt at a time when Egypt was the epicenter of the world. Joseph was essentially the second most powerful man in the entire world. No wonder God had to put him through an extensive preparation process. I want you to remember this. Extensive preparation always precedes a significant position. Extensive preparation always precedes a significant position. They can train you to work at Burger King in eight days, but if you're going to be a physician, it takes eight years. Extensive preparation always precedes a significant position. Some of you are wondering why things aren't happening quickly in your life. You're wondering why it feels like it's taking so long. It's because you are called to a significant position and you've got to go through an extensive preparation process in order to step into your place and be effective. So David's journey was one of consistent faithfulness, consistent promotion. Joseph's journey was one of extensive preparation that ultimately resulted in achievement. The last person I want to tell you about is Moses. Moses' journey toward achieving his goals was a period of uncertainty 
and unrelated events or seemingly unrelated events. Unlike David and Joseph, Moses did not know what God's call was for his life. Moses didn't know what God's plan was for his life. David was anointed to be king when he was a teenager. Joseph had a dream when he was a teenager. But for the first 80 years of Moses' life, God didn't say a single word to him. 80 years never having an encounter with God. 80 years never hearing about the call. 80 years never hearing about a plan. Moses didn't know. He didn't know. Have you ever felt like everybody around you knows what God's doing in their life, but you don't have any idea? You, you feel like everybody around you is certain about their calling and you're like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what God's plan is for me. That was Moses. And on top of that, the events of Moses' life didn't seem to be connected. Moses was born with a death warrant on his head. At the time of his birth, Pharaoh issued a command that every Hebrew baby boy should be thrown in the Nile River. At just three months old, Moses' mother was forced to lay him in a basket and allow him to float down the Nile River among crocodiles and hippos. At three months old, Moses' mother was forced to trust that God would make a way where there seemed to be no way. As Moses floated down the river, he caught the eye of Pharaoh's daughter who ultimately adopted him. Moses grew up in the palace as a prince of Egypt. He didn't know his immediate family. He didn't know his heritage. But he was trained in the ways of the Egyptians. At, at 40 years old, Moses lost his temper, something that would be a consistent problem throughout his life. And he ended up murdering an Egyptian and hiding the body in the sand. From that point, Moses spent 40 years as a fugitive where he learned wilderness survival techniques. And finally, Moses became a shepherd. Think about the journey of Moses' life. Born a slave, adopted as a prince of Egypt, wound up a shepherd. At 80 years old, he's taking care of somebody else's sheep. He doesn't have anything to call his own. He hasn't achieved anything. He hasn't accomplished anything. And Moses probably thought that his best days were behind him. He probably thought, if I haven't figured out what God's plan is for my life by now, I never will. But at 80 years old, Moses had an encounter with God and God revealed to him. You see, it didn't seem like the events of Moses' life connected, but they did. God knew that one day he would need a man from the tribe of Levi. Moses just happened to be from the tribe of Levi. God knew that one day he would need a man who didn't have the mindset of a slave but could sympathize with slaves. Moses didn't have the mindset of a slave but he could sympathize with slaves. God knew that one day he would need a man trained in Egyptian culture who would be free to speak in Pharaoh's court. Moses just happened to be trained in Egyptian culture and was free to speak in Pharaoh's court. God knew that one day he'd need a man who knew how to survive in the wilderness, who knew what berries you could eat and what berries to stay away from. Moses spent 40 years learning how to survive in the wilderness, 
Do you see what was happening? God was using the events of Moses' life to prepare him for his purpose even before Moses knew what his purpose was. Moses didn't know he was getting ready for anything, but God was using everything, even Moses' failure. If Moses had not murdered the Egyptian, he wouldn't have spent 40 years as a fugitive. He wouldn't have learned how to survive in the wilderness, and he would not have been able to fulfill his purpose. I'm not saying that God endorses our failures, but he doesn't waste anything. God uses everything. You may not know what his plan is. You may not know what his purpose is, but he's not going to waste one experience. He's not going to waste one tear. He's not going to waste one failure. He's not going to waste a period of tribulation. He's going to use everything. He's getting you ready for your purpose even if you don't know what your purpose is. Moses didn't experience consistent progress like David. He didn't have an unmistakable dream like Joseph. Yet his journey was strategically designed to get him where he needed to go. I don't know what your journey is today, but I promise it's strategically designed to get you where you need to go. To form you and shape you for your purpose. You see, our journey toward achieving our goals is unique to us. But there are three principles that we must learn if we're going to be successful. I'm going, to give you two, I'm going to give you three principles really quick. Number one, faithfulness. If you're writing that down, write it down. Faithfulness. David knew how to be faithful. Whether he was throwing rocks at a tree stump, serenading a herd of sheep, or delivering lunch, he knew how to give his best at whatever he was asked to do. This was the key to his success. Because how we do anything is how we do everything. The mindset you take into any task is the mindset you take into every task. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, He that is faithful, not fake, not fabricated, not fickle, but faithful. He, I know, I know you don't want to amen this because we don't celebrate faithfulness. We don't celebrate consistency. But Jesus said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. You demonstrate and display what you would do with more by how you manage what you have. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Notice that in this verse, the portion changes, but the principle remains the same. The steak will get bigger, but you'll use the same knife and fork to eat it. I'm going to let that set down. Woo! That's tweetable. The steak will get bigger, but you'll use the same knife and fork to eat it. Some things will change, but some things will stay the same. Faithfulness is the same regardless of your net worth, your marital status, your occupation. It's the same whether you're herding sheep or managing a kingdom. It's the same whether you're holding a mic or sitting in the crowd. It's the same whether you're a cashier or the CEO. It's the same whether you're in the front line or the back of the line. It's the same whether you're on top or bottom. Faithfulness is the same. 
This is why it is always the key of your present faithfulness that unlocks the door of your future destiny. If you have your house key on, you get it out and hold it in your hand. I'm going to give you a minute. You need to see this. You need to feel it. You got your our house key on you? No, you don't. Get it if you got it. If it's up there. I want you, you don't got to hold it weird or nothing. Just hold it in your hand. Just feel it, okay? Just feel it. You don't have to take it off the ring. Just bring it here, Carrie. Okay, or take it off the ring. Make this really awkward if you need to. You know your house key? It doesn't look anything like your front door. It's not comparable in size, shape, or color. Based on appearance, the key and the door seem to be completely unrelated. Yet you know that it is that small key that unlocks a big door and gives you access to what is rightfully yours. This small, oddly shaped key gives me access to many of the blessings that God has reserved for me. It doesn't look like the blessings. It doesn't look anything like the blessings, but it gives me access to them. It's always a small key that unlocks a big door and gives you access to where you want to go. It's always a small key. You're looking to do something big. You're looking for it to be this extensive thing. You're looking for it to be this massive thing. It's always a small key that unlocks a big door and gives you access to where you want to go. It's important for you to remember this because sometimes in our life, we throw away the key and then get upset because the door doesn't open. Meaning we neglect the small, basic, simple things and then wonder why big things aren't happening in our life. We neglect our prayer life. We neglect our study time. We neglect our worship. We neglect our giving. We neglect our church attendance and then have the audacity to wonder why doors aren't opening, why we're not getting opportunities, why we're not moving forward. We neglect what we can do because it's really not what we want to do and then we wonder why we're not progressing. I don't want to volunteer in that area. I don't want to help out over here. This is what I want to do and if I can't do this then I'd rather not do anything at all and then we wonder why we're not moving forward. You see, we talk a lot about doors in the 21st century church. We talk about doors of opportunity. We talk about finding the right doors. We talk about believing God for open doors. However, when Peter was about to become the leader of the early church, Jesus wasn't focused on him finding the right doors. Jesus was focused on making sure he had the keys. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus says to Peter, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
He didn't say, I'll give unto thee the doors, the opportunities, the platforms. He said, no, I'm going to give you the keys, the principles, the characteristics. Because as long as you have the keys, no one can limit you. As long as you have the keys, no one can shut you out. As long as you have the keys, you'll always move forward. I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said that he would shut doors. No man can open and open doors. No man can shut. He's going to open doors in my life. No man can shut. The way he does this is by making sure I have the key. It's impossible for man to shut you out if you have the key that gives you access. What's that mean, pastor? It means it's impossible for you to keep me from being blessed if I'm faithful. It's impossible for you to keep me from what God has reserved for me if I'm consistent. It's impossible for you to keep me from moving forward if I'm doing what God has instructed me to do. It's impossible for man to shut me out if I have the key that gives me access. So if it feels like you're not moving forward, if it feels like you've hit a wall, if it feels like you're being shut out, you need to redirect your focus and start looking for that small key that will give you access to what God has promised you. Look for that small thing you don't have time for. That small thing you neglect. That small thing you didn't think was important. That small thing you said you'd do tomorrow. Find your key and the shut door will be an open one. Find your key. Be faithful in small things. Be faithful when you don't have a whole lot. Be faithful when what you're doing seems meaningless and insignificant. Be faithful when it no longer seems to be paying off. Be faithful when it no longer seems to be beneficial. Be faithful when people don't acknowledge you or appreciate you for what you do. Be faithful because it's a waste of time to find the door you're supposed to walk through if you don't have the key that gives you access. Be faithful over a little. That's the key. And he'll make your ruler over much. Be faithful over a little. How did you get to the top, David? I was faithful over a little. How did you see God move, David? I was faithful over a little. How did you experience so much? I was faithful over a little. Nobody appreciated it, but I was faithful. They talked about me, but I was faithful. They acted like I didn't do anything for them, but I was faithful. I didn't see any initial results, but I was faithful. Be faithful. Give the Lord some praise. Number two. This one's hard too. Consistency. After everything, after everything Joseph went through, in my opinion, he had every right to be mad at God. This is something that I feel like I'm experiencing. Not that I have a right to be mad at God. He don't owe me anything. I'm not entitled to anything. I'm familiar enough with my failures not to bring an arrogant attitude into the presence of God. But at the same time, I don't know why Gary has fourth stage cancer. I don't know why God didn't stop it. 
I don't know why God allowed it. I don't know why he's suffering the way that he's suffering. I'm sure there's a plan. But I don't know what it is. Lately, there's been many times where all I could manage to write in my prayer journal is, God, I don't know what to say to you. You ever been there? I feel like I've asked in every way conceivable. I've recited every verse. I've fasted. I've prayed. And now I've come to a place where I'm speechless. I don't know what to say, God. I thought you'd have done it by now. I thought it had never got to this point. I don't know what to say. But despite not knowing what to say, I keep trying to pray. Even if it means bowing in silence. Because I know that the only way we survive the storms of life is if we stay connected to the Savior. The only way we survive the storms of life is if we stay connected to the Savior. When it comes to achieving your goals, there's always going to be peaks and valleys. But regardless of the emotions you experience, you have to find a way to stay connected. You can be a lot of things. You can be angry. You can be confused. You can be frustrated. You can be hurt. You can be fed up. You can be tired. You can be weary. You can be a lot of things, but you can't be absent. You may cry. You may complain. You may cuss. But you can't disconnect. You can't disconnect because it's always a lack of connection that leads to a collapse. You have to hold on. With tears in your eyes, you have to hold on. Out of breath, you got to hold on. Tired and weary, you got to hold on. Feeling like you got nothing left to give, you got to hold on. An empty bank account, you got to hold on. A bad diagnosis, you got to hold on. A marriage that's not getting better, you got to hold on. Things are not improving, you got to hold on. You don't feel like you're victorious, you got to hold on. Seems like the enemy's getting the upper hand, you got to hold. Oh, you got to hold on. Regardless of what it looks like, feels like, or seems like, you got to hold on. Because the only way you're going to make it through this, the only way you're going to come out on the other side, the only way you're going to see what God has for you next is if you find a way to stay consistently connected to the rock. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. Therefore, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods, the rain descended and the wind blew, the rain descended and the floods came, the rain descended and the floods and the wind, and there was rain and there was floods and there was wind and there was rain and there was floods and there was winds. And the house fell not. Why? Why didn't this house crumble? Why didn't this house collapse? What caused this house to make it? What caused this house to survive? What caused this house to come out 
on the other side. There was wind, there was rain, there was floods. And the house fell not, for it was founded. For it was founded upon a rock. It's not about what you build. It's about what you're built on. It wasn't about the wise man's construction. It was about his connection. You're going to survive this. Not because you're strong. Not because you're faithful. Not because you believe. You're going to survive this because you're standing on the rock. You're going to come out of this because of what you're built on. You're going to come out of this because you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You're going to see the sun again. You're going to see better days again. And it's not because you have this special attribute. It's because you're standing on the rock. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Upon Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Joseph, how'd you survive it? When God let bad thing after bad thing after bad thing happen in your life. Joseph, how did you get through? How did you accomplish? How did you achieve? I was standing on the rock. I cried, Revis, but I was standing on the rock. I was confused, but I was standing on the rock. My faith was gone, but I was still standing on the rock. I didn't get it, but I was standing on the rock. And the only thing that kept me, that kept mine, was the rock that I was standing on. The rock, Jesus Christ. Give the Lord some praise. You got to be faithful. You got to be consistent. Number three, trust. Trust. Many times the events in our life, they seem to be completely unrelated. Something good happens, something bad happens. We move in, we move out. We get the job, we get laid off. We move forward, we take a step back. Somebody leaves, somebody comes. We start a relationship, we end a relationship. There's a lot of different things and experiences that happen in our life. And a lot of times, it doesn't seem to fit cohesively together. It doesn't. Just like with Moses. One moment, he's floating down the river in a basket. Next moment, he's growing up not knowing his immediate family. He's living as a prince of Egypt. The next moment, he's a fugitive. The next moment, he's a shepherd. The next moment, he's being sent back to Egypt at 80 years old. It doesn't seem to fit. And yet it did. It did fit. It all fit. The point is, we may not be able to connect the dots. You may not know why you're here right now. If it was up to you, you may be somewhere else. You may not know why God's given you this to do. You may not know why you got the degree that you got. You may not know why you're living in London, Kentucky. 
You may not know why you got that job and why you were passed over for that job. You may not know why that person walked out of your life and that person came. You may not understand the events that are happening in your life. You may not be able to connect the dots. You may look at the picture and all you may see is a mess, randomness, chaos. You may not be able to connect the dots, but God can. God can connect the dots of your life. He can connect the dots and make a masterpiece out of what has happened in your life. He can he can use your failures. He can use your mistakes. He can use your bad choices. He can use your bad decisions. And like a master artist, he just starts connecting the lines. You needed to feel betrayal because one day you'd need this characteristic. And you needed to be left out because one day you would be here. And you needed to be passed up for that job because one day you'd get this job. And you needed to cry yourself to sleep, to feel the embrace of my presence. And you needed to go into that valley so that you would seek me in a way that you never have before. And God's just connecting the dots. And when he's finished, it's beautiful. See, my mom's an artist. She used to have a booth and she would do airbrush t-shirts and she actually painted a mural, a massive mural, like a 20-foot wildcat on one of the schools in Harlan. I mean, she's really good. She don't do it anymore, but she's really good. And, and I remember just sitting when I was a kid watching her. She'd just start drawing stuff. And, and in the process, it looked like a mess. I'm thinking, look, what is that? Lines going everywhere. She's erasing stuff. She's smearing stuff. Like you don't even know what you're doing. That don't look like anything at all. She's just drawing. Lines going everywhere. It looks segmented. It looks random. But I learned as I watched her not to judge the picture before she was through. Because throughout the process, it looked like a mess. But when she finally put her pencil down and stepped away, I could see what she had envisioned all along. And God sent me here to tell somebody today that what you're experiencing, what you're seeing right now may look like a mess. There may not look to be any purpose. There may not seem to be any rhyme or rhythm to what's happening in your life. But don't judge the picture before the art is through. Just keep your mouth shut and let him do what he does. Let him connect the dots because he's going to make a masterpiece. You just got to trust him. Do you trust God? Come on now. Do you trust him? No. It's easy to say you trust him when you're sitting in a cushioned seat in an air-conditioned building. Do you trust him when what you thought would happen doesn't? Do you trust him when you lose your job? Do you trust Him when you're broken? Do you trust Him when tragedy strikes? Do you trust Him then? Do you trust Him to take your failures? Do you trust Him to take your mistakes? Do you trust Him to make a masterpiece out of what's happened in your life? If you do, you'll achieve your goals. How'd, how'd you get there, Moses? 
I just trusted God to use everything. I trusted God to use things that happened in my childhood. I trusted God to use my biological mother and my adopted mother. I trusted God to use the areas I was trained in and the areas I failed in. I trusted God to use my time in the wilderness. I trusted God to use the uncertainty. I trusted God when I was working for another man, taking care of somebody else's sheep. I trusted Him through it all. And I'm glad, I'm glad I did. Give the Lord some praise. If you're here today, you're on a journey. You're on a journey towards your destiny. Maybe your journey's like David's. Maybe if you'll just be faithful, you'll see quick promotion, quick increase. Maybe if you'll take one step, God will take two. Maybe the reason that you haven't really got the ball rolling is because you are not faithful where you are and with what you can do. Maybe that's your story. Maybe your story is like David's. And if you'll take care of those sheep in the wilderness with all that you have, one day you'll sit in the palace and you'll take the same principles that you learned with the sheep and you'll apply them with God's people. Maybe that's your story. Maybe you're like Joseph. Maybe you've done the right thing and all hell has broke loose in your life. Setback after setback. Heartache after heartache. Tear after tear. Don't give up. Don't turn loose. Because in one moment, God's going to step in. And He's going to wipe away years of hardship. Years of struggle. Years of turmoil. Maybe that's your story. Maybe your story is like Moses. You just... You're just a tumbleweed blowing through life. You don't know what God's doing. Don't know what He wants you to do. You don't know where you are. You don't know how far you got to go. You don't know where you're going. And if you'll ever get there. Just uncertainty. Trust God to connect the dots if you can. Trust God to bring purpose out of your problem. Trust God to bring consistency out of your chaos. Trust God to make a masterpiece out of this mess. What I'm saying is if you're saved, you need strength for the journey. This is a hard journey, isn't it? Life is hard. Even if you're not saved, life is hard. But the Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to be a hard journey. You need strength for the journey. So if you're saved, I want to invite you to this altar to ask the Lord to give you strength for the journey. Strength to be faithful when you need to be faithful. To be consistent when you need to be consistent. To trust when you don't understand. Strength for the journey. If you're here and you're lost, God's got a plan for your life. And He's already started to unfold His plan. God's already using your experiences. He's already using what happened in your life. He's already using what you've been through. He's already started to position you. But you'll never see the abundant life that He wants you to have unless you have a relationship with Him. Your sins can be forgiven today. They can be washed away. You can be a new creature. You can have a fresh start, a clean slate, and a new beginning. And all you have to do is accept what Jesus did on your behalf. That's it. If you're lost... 
and you've been walking this journey on your own, you need a friend. You need a brother. Jesus said, I'll be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So if you're saved, let's pray for strength for this journey. Wherever it takes us and wherever we end up, if we're lost, let's pray to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior so that our life will never, ever, ever be the same again. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more great messages, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music and leave us a rating and review while you're there. For more information, please visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash redemptionky.